I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, you no, know, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery, Mom! this is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Each Friday, we take a moment to gather our favourite parents for a bit of a chat. We talk about the events that have happened that week, whether it's in the media or our own lives. And the topics we're chatting about today are whether being a new mum is compatible with being a Prime Minister, when you disagree with your partner about age-appropriate pursuits, I'm talking things like ear piercings and toy guns, when you don't like your kid's children, teacher, sorry, when you don't like your kid's teacher and brilliant, funny words our kids use to describe different things. Joining us today, we have Lucy Kippist, online editor at Kindling Kids Radio, and Luke Eskimm, lead singer of The Vegetable Plot, aka Asparagus. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hello. Now, I know we've had both of you on at different times, but just to refresh everyone's memory, Lucy, can you tell us a little bit about your boys? Sure. I have Harry, who's four and a half, and I also have Lockie, who's one and a half. So they're exactly three years apart and very busy. (laughs) Very busy. (laughs) I think that must be the description of all little boys. Luke, would that apply to your son as well? That sounded almost exactly like me. I have a little boy called Harry as well, and he's just turned five. Oh, brilliant. Okay. First up today, we're going to talk about the New Zealand Prime Minister and her baby bump. A woman's touch can weave a spell. The kind of hocus pocus that she does so well. With the magic of a broom, she can mesmerize. Women have come a long way since 1953 when Calamity Jane hit the theatres. Thank goodness. But fast forward to 2018 and there's a New Zealand Prime Minister who's about to have a baby. This has drawn attention in ways that other PMs expecting babies have not. Uh, Think of Tony Blair in the year 2000, if you were, you know, thinking of those things back then. An article by Angela Shanahan in The Australian this week criticised the New Zealand PM as being delusional, basically, if she thinks she can run a country and have a baby. There are a lot of problems with this article, but one thing that has kept you, Lucy, has given you a few reservations. Um, Can you tell us what is it about this article that unsettles you? Sure. At first when I read it, I thought, ah, this is utter garbage. And I still think most of it is utter garbage. But the one thing that that jumped out at me was this is a huge burden that she's about to carry. As someone who's never had a baby before and launching into this huge responsibility as a prime minister, I think at some level there has to be a real concentration on her own personal care in this time because she doesn't really know what to expect. None of us know what to expect. And the and part of it is that she's only doing six weeks maternity leave. So my concern is that, you know, she comes into a job this huge when you've only just started to get to know your baby um, and what's the emotional toll going to be and how is that going to affect her? Because it will affect her. Before we go to you, Luke, I just wanted to bring in a few comments from the audience because we did have a very strong reaction to Lucy's article on this piece, which was expressing pretty much what Lucy just said then. Um, Kate says she's a public figure working to serve the public, so discussion about her choices is going to happen and legitimate that it does. While I don't agree with critics of her choice, I do agree we should be able to talk about the merits of these types of decisions. We look to our leaders for leadership and also, at times... 
wouldn't be nice if it was more often for inspiration, both professionally and personally. Trying to have it all is still a relatively new reality for women in our society, taking a historic view. So why wouldn't we openly but respectfully discuss the pros and cons without shutting down discussion? Alexandra says it's really no comparison. The toll of childbirth on your body is immense. The separation between mother and child, breastfeeding, sleep. I'm 100% behind this woman doing whatever the heck she wants, but it will never be the same for men as for women, and we can't pretend it is for very obvious biological and psychosocial reasons. Um, Luke, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, let me just wade in here with my male (laughs) point of view on this. Um, Look, I, I think Jacinta Ardern is awesome, and she's like the Barack Obama of the Southern Hemisphere. She's a 21st century leader. She's inspirational. Um, I mean, I think one thing that's worth remembering is she's 37 years old, so she's half the age of Donald Trump and at least four times as intelligent. <laughs> and she's also the prime minister of the country, so if anyone can sort out a good maternity leave uh, <laughs> daycare package, it's her. So I, I would think, you know, she's probably not going to want to get New Zealand involved in any more disastrous conflicts in the Middle East over the next couple of years. I would think you want to take a back seat. New Zealand's already getting left off world maps, so she could use that to uh, to her advantage, I think, <laughs> just to sort of stay out of the, the quagmire of, of world politics at the moment. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I think she's amazing, and I, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch. I'm pretty sure they'll make a movie about it one day. And I look forward to watching it. Yeah, I think the whole discussion I found really interesting, particularly the response to Lucy's article, because I think Kate, when I, the audience member I spoke about who says she's a public figure and we can talk about these things, what she said that I think is really important is why can't we respectfully discuss the pros and cons? And that's what I think is missing in this discussion is that, Lucy, I didn't take your comments to be women in power should not have babies and she shouldn't be doing this because she's a mother and needs to stay home suckling her baby. Like that, that wasn't how I took it, but it was like a heartfelt, I remember what it was like for me and I feel for her. And we don't seem to be able to talk like that about mums. That's right. It's almost like you've got to go one way or the other way. But all the stuff that's in in between, like most things in life, is actually the most interesting bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation, where we invite two parents to the studio to get their thoughts on the stories and events of the week. Today, I'm joined by Lucy Kippis. She's our online editor here at Kindling Kids Radio. And Luke Eskam. He's a lead singer of The Vegetable Plot. Next, ear piercings, nail polish and toy guns. What happens when you and your partner disagree about age-appropriate rites of passage. This week on Mumsnet Parenting Forum, a mum asked when was it okay to pierce her daughter's ears. Her daughter was four and the woman's estranged husband said she was too too young. Piercing ears, though, is just one example of where you and your partner might disagree when it comes to what's age appropriate. 
think nail polish, sleepovers, toy guns. How do you find compromises over what's age appropriate when you and your partner disagree? Carolyn says, I had my ears pierced when I was 18 months old. My mum had hers done when she was a teenager and didn't want me to feel the pain of it. Each to their own. I think babies look beautiful with little studs. It's really not that big of a body modification in my opinion. Plus, if you don't want to wear earrings in the long run, you don't have to. Um, Now, that's one perspective, but of course we all see these things differently. Some see earrings on little girls as being too grown up. Luke, what's your take on these sorts of rites of passage and, and how would you handle it if you and your lovely wife disagreed? Well, I've been quite fortunate in that my wife and I have broadly agreed on, on these things. I mean, we have a boy, so the PSD thing hasn't hasn't come up yet. Uh, toy guns, we both feel pretty strongly that we, even though the house seems to be filled with toy guns, I don't know how they got there. It's just <laughs> the boys sort of uh, are magnetically attracted to guns and they fly into the house. But we certainly haven't bought them. But we did have a, a bit of a disagreement early on about, um, we, we were discussing whether it was okay to put our son forward for like catalog modeling, you know, nappy adverts and that sort of thing. And I was pretty strongly against it. I, I, I'm very averse to the whole showbiz parent thing and I thought we'd be bringing him into a hideous netherworld of fake tan four-year-olds and and, and (laughs) parents living vicariously through their monstrous children Uh, but my wife was quite in favor of it Uh, she her her reasoning was our son is clearly gorgeous why shouldn't we make some money off that and uh, I think uh, as you say your compromise is very important you have to pick your battles in a marriage you have to use respectful language no matter what you're discussing or how strongly you feel about it uh, you don't want to say things like are you crazy are you on drugs what's wrong with you <laughs> anything that sounds really judgy like that you want to stay away from and I think uh, there is a sort of ongoing I don't want to say a battle it's a it's a it's a strategic conflict let's say and <laughs> What you have to do sometimes is let a few things slide if you're not really that passionate about them so that when you do encounter something where you want to really pull up the drawbridge, you have some authority. What do you think, Lucy? That's such a good good summary of that. I think that's excellent. But I, I also agree. I think that probably part of it is trying to understand why the other person doesn't agree with you. So I think there's just not enough curiosity sometimes in marriage about these kind of things. It's like, instead of just going, well, I disagree and I agree, it's sort of like, well, actually, what, what is your, what, why, why are you saying no to the earrings or the guns or, um, and like you in our house, they have just appeared. I certainly haven't bought any either. Um, but I think, so once you have a better understanding of the, the reason behind your partner's disagreement, then you have a better leg to stand on and maybe you have a bit more empathy. So then maybe you can come together in a different way. So like I suggested, um, if it was earrings, it's sort of like if he said not, not till they're 16 and you said now because they're 12, what about going halfway between there, you know, like the magic 14 or something like that. Like I think it's really important in a marriage to, um, show each other that you're listening and also that you're willing to take on board what they've said, even if you don't agree with them. It's just reminded me that um, one of the topics that a lot of parents probably talk about now is is with young boys and circumcision. Uh, It's a very controversial topic. There's pros and against. And um, that can be a really hard one for if you're a heterosexual couple to come to some kind of understanding of because it's the views on it are so personal and so extreme. Um, I remember with my husband, the way I dealt with it was I, we talked about it once and I said, you've got a six week window to make up your mind. 
And he didn't get back to me in six weeks. I said, well, <laughs> that's it. Gone. So we didn't actually discuss it, but it strikes me as a conversation that could be quite difficult. Mm, hadn't even thought of that one. That's really, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Both of you are silent. No, we're not going to yeah. talk about oh. it. <laughs> you well, didn't preface for the, the um, circumcision conversation, Siobhan. We are no. not having that one. Yeah. I, I don't remember that one coming up when we, <laughs> when we discussed the, the things we wanted to subject our child to that wasn't, that wasn't on the list. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's a nice, that's nice because a lot of, um, a lot of generational difference between what happened when yes. we were, when our partners were kids and now that our kids are growing up in a different, Anyway, I can't I can't allude to it without talking about it, and I obviously cannot go there because we haven't prepped anyone that are going to be so controversial. But let's talk about something that is um, possibly a bit closer to home: is what your parents said you could or couldn't do when you were kids. Um, boys don't seem to have as many restrictions, Luke. Would you agree? I mean, for us, it was you can't have nail polish when you're a little girl. Ear piercing wasn't appropriate for little girls. There were all these things that girls couldn't do. I don't remember my brother having the same restrictions. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember rules going into school. There were things you couldn't do. Like, you couldn't play on the grass. You had to play on the razor-sharp asphalt. (laughs) And this was something to do with our safety. If we went on the grass, we got in trouble. Uh, There was a lot of stuff to protect the grass. Was there anything about hair? I remember my husband was told he had to cut his hair. Yeah, I think my my second school was a bit fancy, and they, they did have a thing about hair and facial hair. That's Ooh. right. You couldn't you couldn't have a moustache or a beard as a thirteen or fourteen year old, even if you were awesome enough to be able to grow one. Which <laughs> I was not. But there are some cultures where you know the moustache and the beard—that's part of the male identity—is oh, you know, you will have a moustache like me, son, when you're thirteen. And for a school to say no, no, we have to shave that off, or you have to, you have to put a bag face. over his head or something like that—that <laughs> that certainly would have been controversial. But we didn't. There wasn't anything particularly. We didn't have any ritualistic things in either of our families that. That were needed needed to be done. You know, mm. we we just sort of wanted him to be um, healthy and and not commit any major crimes. Right. Well, what, Luce? What about you? Did you have? You've got a sister as well. Yeah. I mean, did you both have similar rules in terms of what you couldn't? Yeah, couldn't and do? I think ours were exactly like yours. We couldn't pierce our ears till we were sixteen, and that was really strict. And then my sister went on to get a nose ring as well, which caused. You know, <laughs> What, at 16? Um, I think she was 17 when she got that. Wow. She did wait. Rebel. <laughs> Rebel. Um, the nail polish thing, I don't remember, but certainly I remember being able to, the age I was able to choose my own clothes. I really remember that. It was sort of like, I don't know whether it was a permission thing or more of a like my determination, but I do remember as a little girl being told, no, 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 this is what you're wearing, this is what you're wearing. And the euphoria when I could suddenly go, <laughs> this is what I'm wearing, and put it on. So do you think about that when you dress your sons now? Actually, I do because Harry, who's four and a half, has just started to go, no, mummy, I want to wear this Spider-Man top or, you know, whatever it is. So, And that's only really just started in the last sort of six months. So it is interesting. Are you more relaxed because of your own experience? I just go with it, yeah. Because I also feel like it helps them, if they can have that independence, I guess, it helps them to understand the importance of getting dressed before you leave the house in the morning. It's always a battle. <laughs> it's important so, to wear yeah, clothes, it's children. important to wear clothes. But it's such a self-expression thing, clothes. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I think it's great. Okay. You're yep. listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Lucy Kippist, our online editor at Kindling Kids Radio, and Luke Eskom. He's a lead singer of The Vegetable Plot. You may know him as Asparagus. After this short break, what can you do when you don't like your kid's teacher?
Hello. Just a quick note before we get on to the next topic. Are you a working mum trying to work out how other women manage it all? The Mother Shift is a brand new podcast series revealing what's really going on behind closed doors when we're busy juggling work and family life, not to mention taking care of ourselves. Hosted by journalist, mum and guest on the parent panel, Jacinta Tynan, the Mother Shift couples expert advice with relatable and unfiltered stories to try and help you figure out that puzzle of modern motherhood. After this episode, make sure you go and check out The Mother Shift. There's even an episode where I dive into my own personal story. Woohoo! Okay, now let's get back to the parent panel. I don't recommend that you play this song if you don't like your kid's teacher, although I have to say my sister and I had a fight once and she went into her room, slammed the door and played that song. (laughs) It was very clear the message she was trying to send. I just don't think it would work for teachers. But this did come up in the office this week um, because um, basically Jeff Kugler, who's a former principal and executive director of the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, had shared his tips on this website that Lucy had found about what to do if you don't like your teacher. Now, I have loved all of the teachers my daughter has had. She's in primary school now and my son. We've been lucky to have really great um, daycare centers. And now that she's at school, the kindy teacher was gorgeous. The first grade teacher is just so lovely and kind. And when we started talking about this in the office, I thought, you know what? I have no idea what I would do if I didn't like the teacher because most primary schools are quite small communities. Um, you, it's not as in theory, there are probably steps you can take, but in practice, it can feel really awkward when you're thinking, oh my God, how do I approach this? Um, so Lucy, you did sort of investigate this and look into this. I'm wondering um, how you would handle the situation. Um, I haven't come across it either in my personal life yet, but I loved the tip that he talked about um, going into the classroom and observing if that was possible, because I think sometimes when a child tells you a story, um, they don't, they're not always completely aware of everything else that's going on in a classroom either. So he suggested going in and just, you know, going in for reading time or whatever it was and just observe the teacher's interactions with the other children at the same time. So that, and then like taking that to a meeting with the teacher. And I thought that's really good because then that shows the teacher that you're not just going off, you know, the whiff of an oily rag or a cranky five or six year old. You're sort of you've observed something in your own and you can take that and say, look, I really liked how you do this in the classroom, but, you know, Harry or whoever it is um, is having a problem with X, Y, and Z. Can we talk about it? I think it gives you good context. Yeah. What about you, Luke? Because I know um, Harry goes to a Montessori school and you've very consciously chosen that school and have had wonderful experiences there. And your wife's a teacher as well. So uh, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I I think my wife and I both have felt the same since we met as as very young sort of 20-somethings, that we wake up every morning and thank God and all the angels in heaven that we are no longer having to get up and go to school every morning. I still have nightmares where I'm back at school and having to sit my exams, and there's always a really sweet moment in the dream where I stand up and go, hang about, no, 
I've done this. I did this 20 years ago. I never have to do this again. Get me out of here. <laughs> uh, so for me, it was a big obstacle to, to even wanting to have children was the idea that at the age of four or five, I would have to knowingly send my child to this Victorian institution and pretend that it was somehow for their benefit. Uh, so because both of us felt the same, my wife devoted her life to becoming a Montessori teacher and we really believe in that philosophy. It's uh, child-centered. It's very respectful of the children. There's no uniforms. There's no homework. They call the teacher by the first name. They get called by their first name. And it's a very collaborative environment. Their parent-run schools. So you're, you partner with the teachers. They're not even called teachers. They're directors. They're guides. So you are collaborating with that guide in your child's education. So observations are a huge part of that. Um, you know, there's just everyone talks to everyone and it's a community. So that's what we, we will have until the end of primary. And we'll look for that same kind of arrangement afterwards because it's, it's so important to us. Um, that actually brings up a question, Lucy, because when, when we were talking about this and while I haven't had experience with my children and their teachers, I definitely remember being in primary school and especially high school going, please don't let me have that teacher. And, and be, there being particular teachers that had a reputation that children were scared of them maybe. Um, I, I'm wondering if you had that experience when you were at school. Definitely. I remember year seven um, homeroom class that we had and we got lumped with the worst teacher who was terrifying and terrifying because he was so inconsistent. So you'd turn up one morning and he'd be like, well, really nice, but you'd be like, oh, oh. <laughs> fly off the, the handle. And it was such a shame because it was my first year of high school and we had him every single morning of that first year of high school. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I do remember that a lot. And I do remember thinking after that first year, oh, thank God we don't have to have him because he was only a year seven teacher. But, you know, a good teacher changes your world. Worth the weight in gold. Oh, and particularly yeah. when uh, you... I know Montessori has a different way of um, children entering the education system in a way because um, Harry's already in the preschool part, isn't he? Yeah, he's he? been there for two years already. Yeah, so um, when your kids start, um, Lucy, I remember when Darcy started school and I just had this amazing experience with early childhood where the educators are so hands-on and so loving and caring and then all of a sudden you are in this school structure and all you can think is, oh, please let this kindergarten teacher understand my child is only five and I I'm sure that most primary schools specifically choose the kindest most patient teachers for those first years because they seem to even though it's a huge transition they seem to have this rapport and understanding of the children I mean I'm sure it's not the case in every school but it's been my experience which is kind of interesting because it is a big step mm, huge step and and those teachers would be a lot kinder and more relaxed if they didn't have so many pressures put on them right. with reporting, you know, every day filling out reports on every child and all of the marking and everything they have to do, you know. I mean, I think it's so important. And it is, I, I remember that that experience of just you've stuck with this teacher for a year. <laughs> and I guess if we're going to look at it in a positive light, I'm not sure it's positive, it's sort of cynically positive, you may end up in a job later on in life where you've got an awful boss who you know mm. will be gone in six to 12 months. And you just learn the art of survival. <laughs> the silver lining. Yeah. You're listening to the parent panel up next. I have been really looking forward to this part of the conversation. We're talking about the brilliant words that kids come up with. Hey. 
It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. So I was scrolling through Facebook, as you do, when I came across a friend's post. She had a picture of her daughter holding a knife. And, I mean, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? But it was just a, just a butter knife. And the caption said, this kid calls a knife a choppy saw, and you probably should too. And it started me thinking about the great words kids have for everyday objects. So my son is currently obsessed with great whites, great whites, great whites. I don't even know what I'm talking about. The most dangerous sharks in the ocean. He calls them point sharks. And uh, Elise, our producer, has a ch- her friend's child calls dogs hairy friends, oh, which I think cute. is awesome. And we, we put up this question on Facebook and some of the things we came back given back were, Katie says, Roll Roll Squish is the name for Play-Doh in our house. Petra says, once a friend's daughter was at our place and she hadn't eaten snow, ple- snow peas before, she named them Crunchy Sticks and we have called them that ever since. Jessica says, when my daughter sees spider webs, she says, oh no, spider cooties. This is my favourite one though. Katie says, my four-year-old calls his elbows arm knees which oh, <laughs> oh, is awesome I'm going to use that one and Sue says my little guy used to call the backs of his knees leg pits and Kimmy says Asta Basta Bista instead of Asta La Vista which <laughs> all That's all awesome. things I want to take into my life from here on in uh, I'm wondering if your kids have had any awesome names for different things Luke, Lucy, who's going first? Yeah, that's really cool. Language is in good hands, I think. I, I think a lot of the uh, these companies like Play-Doh should get kids in when they're designing <laughs> yes, the names true. because yeah. it's, uh, it's fantastic stuff. I, I, Harry used to have completely his own language, and we spent the last two years trying to get him to speak the same language everyone else does so that he can be understood. And we've forgotten so many of the wonderful things he used to say, but we, we were at the dinner table last night trying to remember them. One of them, uh, his word for TV was la-la because that was the first show... <laughs> He ever saw on there. So my friends Mark Excellent. and Tina will be very, very happy about that. Uh, and also uh, one of his first words uh, was whoa, which is what he called Star Wars, um, which sort of tells you how nerdy I am. And I, I'd read to him this comic book called Darth Vader and Son, which is uh, Darth Vader has to raise his four-year-old son, Luke. And uh, so whenever he saw Darth Vader, like in Kmart or whatever, he'd say, whoa, whoa, daddy. Um, but the things I really love is when I hear him say these 21st century hipster words like uh, baby chino and kombucha <laughs> so he said like butter tuna bubba chino baby chino and kombucha he says community garden <laughs> but my absolute favorite um at the end of last school year he bought home a book of his drawings for the whole year and i said harry what's this and he says it's my porkfolio <laughs> that is awesome oh i love it lucy what have, i what have, have your a couple um Harry always refers to yesterday as last day, which my husband and I always comment like, actually, that makes a load more sense than yesterday. <laughs> um, and my absolute favorite thing he has ever said, one morning he woke up and said, Mummy, last night I had a, dr- a story behind my eyes to describe oh, his dream. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> um, and we also have pointy, pointy whale. I, st- I read him this story about the Antarctic um, when spring happens and there's a, a narwhal, I think that's the right pronunciation of really, and he calls it the pointy whale. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Maybe we can just start incorporating kids' language and start changing the dictionary so you have to correct people. So next time someone says dog, say, 
No, I'm sorry. It's hairy friend. That's excellent. And it will just we'll just incorporate Take it that it way. <laughs> All right. Well, Lucy, Luke, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. That was Lucy Kippist, online editor at Kindling Kids Radio, and Luke Eskom, lead singer of The Vegetable Plot. The parent panel will be back next Friday for midday. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast and you'll get a new episode every week. And that's all from us. A big thanks to our senior producer, Elise Cooper. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids Radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.